0: Before today's show officially begins, I have a very important announcement, and that is we've got coffee, we've got coffee, we've got lots and lots of coffee. Yes, all you alcoholics out there, all you neurotic maniacs, we've got coffee through Anarco Coffee, a libertarian coffee company. It's called Morning Roar, named after our long defunct Morning edition of articles we used to write on lionsofliberty.com. But now it's just a sweet-ass coffee that you can wake yourself up with. Be roaring for the day of liberty. You can find it at lionsofliberty.com forward slash coffee. Order some today.
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: What's up, fools and foolettes? I don't want to leave the women up there uh, hanging. God forbid, I know you guys... Need to get your due. I'm just picking a spider web off my microphone. <laughs> Some spider has literally woven a web around my microphone, which I guess means that I need to be doing more podcasting, right? I can hear you, dickhead, saying that into your earbuds, into your iPhone, into your car speaker, Bluetooth, as I am saying this. I know what you're saying out there. I'm smarter than you. Don't forget that. But, I mean, the spider might have a good point. But who knows? Maybe the spider's got a fucking incredible podcast that he's rolling out there. You know, into the spider-verse from a spider. What's not to love? It's the one thing they didn't really get into that movie. Wait, did they? I don't remember. (laughs) There were a lot of spider creatures going all around there. Anyway, welcome to Electric Liberty Land part of the Lions of Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Brian McWilliams, and this is episode number 124, meaning you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL124. And uh, if you're listening to that Spiders podcast, I think it's something like spiderass.com forward slash episode number I, one. I haven't seen him use the microphone before, but I got to presume this was the, the first foray that he or she has made into the space. Now then, got a lot of topics to go into today. Uh, I am going to be welcoming in my buddy Mark Clare, of course, from Monday's show, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. And he, we're going to be talking about an event we went to last night for Tulsi Gabbard, which was held here in Los Angeles. She has been getting a lot of attention, rightly or wrongly, from libertarians. I uh, Just in our Lions of Liberty forum, and actually within the Lions of Liberty pride for our subscribers through patreon which we have a special uh, closed group for just for you special folks out there but uh i've seen a couple of different arguments people slamming libertarians for supporting tulsi gabbard meanwhile i'm like look guys we're allowed to go to events we're allowed to take in alternatives we're allowed to see what people have to say and provide counter questions which i did have a chance to ask a, a counter question at last night's event But anyway, I'll get into that with Mark a little bit later in the show. He is recording a conspiracy corner right now with Rico and Howie, I believe. I'm not sure who else is on that. Uh, So that's going to be, again, for our Pride, our Patreon members to get that bonus content. I think they're... uh, Shit, I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Dig Bigfoot raped the Loch Ness Monster. Is that why we're seeing so many hairy eels? Mm, Questions, guys. So many questions. But anyway... Got a lot of shit to go through until I get to that point on today's program. So, first things first. Uh, this just you know this this just came out. Alyssa Milano, who of course is just a, a liberal loony, or actually I can't even say liberal. I, I no longer will I use the term liberal. A leftist loony, a progressive lunatic, who is consistently on the far fringes fighting for progressive uh, talking points, has come out and said that she now thinks that women should go on a sex strike until they get, quote-unquote, control of their bodies and reproductive rights. So, full autonomy over their bodies. Now, of course, as a libertarian, I do believe that a woman should have full autonomy over what she does with her body. But this is one of those things which aggravates me seeing her posturing for for several different reasons. So let let me just count the ways real quick here at the top of the show. Number one, this is not like some sort of feminist maneuver which is really powerful or making a, a grand statement about you know oh womanhood this is just like okay you know i was reading this article from kat Timph and uh, and i agree with her I, I don't agree with her on a lot of things but i agree with her in this respect And i was thinking the same things is that you're using sex as like a bargaining chip as though it's just this this tool for which if anything feminists should be trying to buck the trend of like oh well women just use sex as a tool to get back at men or get things from men i.e you know instead of using it as something where we're women who are in control of our bodies. We enjoy having sex like anybody else. And I saw a very funny Twitter joke about that. A guy saying that he, uh, some woman is arguing that, you know, something about women having sex for the joy of it. And he's like, Madam, I have never known a straight woman to have sex for the sheer joy of it. Pretty funny, but... By her saying, okay, we need to restrict men's access to our vaginas. No more sex until we get this. You're basically saying that women are just using sex as a tool. And thus, if you're just using it as a tool, it really debases the value of that. It debases your value as a person that has emotions and needs and wants and can fulfill those fulfill those needs and wants as you might want to. And it uh, should not be dictated by Melissa Milano. Melissa Milano? Alyssa Milano. <laughs> oh, by the way corrections and retractions from last episode i uh you know me i just start going off uh you put the key in you wind the side of the fucking libertarian robot drunken alcoholic robot like bender on futurama pour a little whiskey in the top wind me up i go and uh i get on my rant and then last week i called william Barr, attorney general william Barr, bob Barr. i think the entire episode <laughs> Because I'd been so used to saying Bob Barr's name all these years, the former representative—I uh, can't remember what state he was from. He's a fucking asshole, though. Anyway, so corrections and retractions. Of course, I meant William Barr during my ranting, and yeah, uh, eh, you guys know you gotta—you're looking at the forest, guys, not the trees. When you're listening to the old Electric Liberty Land here, okay. Let's get back to Alyssa Milano. So that's that's issue number one. You know, you're making this is sex into a bargaining chip. Issue number two. Is she's saying that, okay, we have to get our autonomy back. You know, no more sex for men. Okay, Alyssa, do you think that men are the only ones trying to restrict abortion rights? Because I hate to break it to you. There are quite a good number of women out there that don't agree with your positions that women should just be able to, you know, hack and slash a baby out of your womb at any given moment. And I don't know if you guys listened to Mark's uh, episode 400, which, by the way, I guess I could tell him in person he's going to be coming on the show. But uh, a round of applause for Mark. Episode number 400. No small feat. No small feat, guys, in the podcasting world. Let alone any world, really. I mean, God, 400 episodes, man. That's amazing. So Mark hit in Ovens O'Brien. Uh, Professor Walter Block, Dave Smith from Part of the Problem, they had a rousing but yet very respectful debate about abortion. And of course, Walter Block is famous for his evictionism uh, theory. Uh, Ovens tended to side more with the evictionism side of things. I don't want to give it all away, but you know, but she has her own bent where she feels that still it's the mother's right to to basically do as they will. However, sides more along the, the side with uh, with Walter and Dave Smith, who has since having his child come around to support pretty much fully a pro-life stance, uh, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts. I listened to the whole thing. I found it was very interesting. I highly recommend you guys go back and listen to it as well. But for me, I am still of the band where I, say, I would say I probably more closely aligned with Walter's position. Uh, however, you know, I just can't seem, for me, I don't believe that conception is where a life begins. I believe that there is a time period wherein it is literally just a bunch of cells and that's that's just my own personal opinion. Anyway so when I hear Alyssa Milano talking about you know how women need to take back their autonomy over their bodies and should be able to abort this baby whenever they please and of course this is in response to the heartbeat bill which had passed in Georgia and you're seeing a lot of Hollywood studios pull out their support because Georgia has offered immense tax incentives something like, I mean, up to like 30% tax incentives for people to go there to film their projects, their TV, their films. If you look at almost every TV show that's filming right now, at the end of it, you see Made in Georgia. So a lot of people are fighting back and saying, well, you know, we're progressive Hollywood. We're not going to support a a state that... (laughs) I I, I love it. I mean, look, I mean, this is the free market effectively uh, saying, look, we're not going to support you economically for doing something that we don't like. Now, granted... (laughs) We're seeing people literally outlaw the ability to do that in regards to Israel. So I love the hypocrisy of this, because you know, ninety percent of the people that support this kind of stuff would uh would probably also support anti-Israel boycotting uh and that that kind of legislation that's been passed in different states. But anyway, you're seeing these people say, Okay, this is how we're gonna respond to it. We're gonna pull our support. So for her to get on her soapbox, make this move, uh, somehow ignore that Virginia or excuse me, Georgia has quite a few women in it that uh, I think the overall abortion question of, of pro-life, pro-choice is something along the lines of like 56 or are pro-choice versus 44% pro-life. So, you know, it's pretty tight there, but you see those numbers drastically decrease when you ta- start talking about bills that allow abortions in the third trimester or abortions, you know, like the, that psychopath Northam in Virginia was talking about where you basically have the baby and you keep the baby very comfortable, but then... You know, you go and you sell it to a medical company that dissects the thing and they kill it uh, as, as humanely, I guess, as you can kill a a, a baby that is completely viable. Anywho, uh, long story short, Melissa, Alyssa Milano uh, is an asshole. And uh, this, whole, this whole sex straight thing is just utterly, utterly ridiculous. And also, let's not forget, Alyssa Milano, very attractive girl. You know, she probably has a lot of suitors coming after her to have sex. What about the donkey women? I I mean, these women, they probably have got principles. They might want to stand up for the principle of autonomy and and saying, I can have an abortion as late as I want to have an abortion. But, hey, the donkey women out there may need to get some sweet, sweet loving. So do you think about them, Alyssa Milano? You and your beauty privilege? Okay, let's move on to the next topic. And that topic will be a truncated edition of the very popular bar Talk.
1: Five
0: bucks says he does. Ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's the beer talking, Mars, but you got a putt that won't quit. They got these big, chewy pretzels here that are all these beers. Five you dollars. Know, Get out of here. Oh yeah, bar talk. By the way, you know me. I'm famous for talking to dudes at bars. Uh he <laughs> talked. Mark and I were at a wrestling event with uh, actually Jason Stapleton was out hanging with us that night as well and uh it was like some you know local wrestling which was which was fun to watch but I ended up talking to this guy named Adam who is a wrestler or actually he's friends with all the wrestlers I think he does a little wrestling he has a wrestling podcast and I think I'm actually going to have him on with Mark uh towards the end of the month to try to do an LALDL with him but very funny guy progressive but incredibly open-minded and Insanely knowledgeable about, you know, like I'm talking my libertarian philosophies, and the guy is open to it, number one, uh responsive, and also knew a lot of the references I was making, which always blows my mind, especially in liber- Liberty Challenge Los Angeles. But I also at this Tulsi event was talking to a guy, a random dude in the stairwell. I'm like leaving the event. He's like, I didn't even know this was going on. Go down, start talking to him about Tulsi, what I like about it, what I don't like about it. Get in a fucking 20-minute conversation with this guy in a stairwell. Probably people think we're, you know, out there humping in secret. I mean, this is a public library after all. You're either shitting or fucking in the stairwell. There's no there's no discourse going on. But uh, another guy, libertarian bent, you know? I mean, he's, he's you know a little bit more conservative, identifies a little bit more libertarian style. Hopefully he listens to the podcast. I told him to tune in. So, Eric, if you're out there, Give a listen. Good chatting with you, my brother. Okay. So, with the bar talk, what I want to do bar talk on, and this is going to be pretty quick, is you're seeing this representative, Deb Holland, H A A L A N. I think it's pronounced like the country, Holland. Uh, maybe it's Halland. Maybe it's pronounced like Halva. Mmm, delicious. You ever guys ever have Halva? It's like a sweet sesame seed. Mmm, God, it's good. Anyway. She's all up in arms because Uber went public and they had a really shitty IPO, for being honest. It was very, uh, very underwhelming as far as what people expected them to get. But they were expected to be a ninety one billion dollar corporation valuation. They launched it under that. But the beef all these progressive have is that it's a gig economy. And they say that Uber and Lyft have all these advantages because they're only paying people as contractors. They're not paying them as full-time employees. They're not paying their Medicaid. They're not paying their uh, their Social Security. No, because they are independent contractors and not contract full-time employees. Well, Uber has a big benefit, and that's just not fair. And the title of this one article I was reading on Democracy Now!, so you know, you start making a jerk-off motion, uh, says... Deb Haaland or Holland introduces Bill to make Uber and Lyft pay their fair share of taxes. So I'm going to come back around this, but it's not even for them. It's not even about the workers, right? It's about them paying their fair share of taxes to the fucking government. Well, let's get in the brass tax again. If you're going to use this in a bar, you need to know these types of things. So this is what's ridiculous. And this is how they are literally trying to destroy the rideshare economy. And this is all tied into crony capitalism. We saw the power of the taxi lobbies. And granted, you are seeing Uber and Lyft drivers go on strike, but hey, Uber and Lyft drivers, it's not intended to be a full-time gig. It's like, you know, if McDonald's workers went on strike, you don't really see that too often. Why? Because it's not supposed to be a full-time gig. It is a transitional gig. It is, I mean, literally, I'm calling it a gig because it is a gig. You do it to make a little bit of extra money here and there between jobs, Maybe on top of another job. You do it because the amount of Uber drivers I've talked to that are like retirees that are doing it to get out of the house. Same thing when you see the old people working at Burger King. Can I take your order? It's like, okay, I understand. You're going to die if you don't do this job literally, you will die of boredom. I'll find you at home. The Price is Right will be on. You will be in a fetal position, drool coming out of your face, uh, like a a dis... (laughs) I almost said dissected mummy, as if you're cutting a mummy up. A uh, desiccated old corpse watching The Price is Right, which at least, hey, if you're going to die, old people, listen to me here. If you're going to die watching some, you know, mid-afternoon, mid-morning TV show, make it The Price is Right. Go out there supporting a fellow libertarian in Drew Carey. (laughs) But anyway, you know, people, you're not supposed to do it full time. That's not what the intent is. And also by saying that you have to take all these employees on, right? They're saying, oh, we want to have a working wish. The company was not founded with that premise. You're trying to force a company into changing its business model to meet your demands because you don't have the ability to get a better job that is a full-time salary position. And that is a ridiculous way to have an economic system to set up, to go about with uh, the way we expect businesses to operate. I mean, because we're not talking free market. Once the government gets involved, this is no longer free market. This is now government forcing a business to change its business model, which was created and was perfectly legal and is perfectly legal to adapt itself to the whims of some of its more extreme workers and politicians and their political bents. And here's how it's going to destroy these companies. You've got your Uber, you've got your Lyft. Based upon gigs, based upon people checking in, checking out, not driving full time. Okay, great. They're not full salary. They're not assured a salary when they are not working, when they're sitting around doing nothing, and nor should they be assured that salary. Commiserate with that comes social security, comes healthcare payments, comes all these other things with a contract full-time employee, but the whole system breaks down if that happens. Number one, if you force Uber and Lyft to have contract employees, what is going to happen to the employee pool? Well, they're going to massively slash those people down. The pool of coming and going in and out, people that can pop on and pop off, that disappears. Because it necessitates it disappearing. Because now the amount of money that Uber and Lyft have to pay into it, they can't possibly encompass all of these different people popping in and off of the service. So now they're forced to hire actual full-time salaried employees. Now it effectively becomes a taxi service. And we all know how expensive and inefficient taxi services are. So you're going to drastically see a drop in the amount of people that are driving Uber and Lyft. Not only that, but you're going to see a drastic rise in the cost of Uber and Lyft, not only because of the, the increases in cost for supporting full-time salaries, so Social Security, Medicare, all the different payments they have to go through, the payroll taxes, all those things, all those things that the, the companies are going to have to deal with. On top of that, because you have a decreased pool of talent, quote unquote talent, uh, God knows there's a lot of failed DJs I've talked to in fucking Uber and Lyft cars driving me around. But because you have a decreased pool, you now are going to have skyrocketing prices. And in fact, the end result may be that they're going to price this to the point where it is more expensive than a taxi because you have decreased supply of labor, increased costs, and now you don't have the economy of scale that you can charge people where it's easy to hop into a car and have a $3 ride, you know, four blocks or whatever it may be. Now, because you have full time, you have reduced supply. Now, guess what? Surging all the time. Remember surge pricing, which happened when there was an increased demand? When you have a shortage of labor, you have a consistent supply problem. You have now a surging issue nonstop, 24 hours a day. This is the death of rideshare companies. This is the death of something that we have come to love and also unintended consequences. As always, how many people now not only depend on Uber and Lyft as a extra gig, not a full-time as a little bit of extra money to pay for college tuition, to pay for uh, for going out, to pay for food, to pay for whatever it is on top of the regular job, working a few hours on the weekend to make a little extra scratch. Not only that, how many people depend on Uber and Lyft as a cheap, reliable source of transportation if they do not have a car, if they do not have a license, if they need to get to work, if they need to get to an appointment? It's a lot of people. I know a great amount of people just personally who have told me, well, yeah, I just take Uber and Lyft now. My buddy sold his car. You know, it's he and his wife. He wasn't working where he needed to have the car all the time. So he says, I just Uber to work. It's close. It's easy. So now he is going to be have to forced to go buy another car. And the people on the left, they talk about, Oh, well, we care about the immigrants. We care about all these. We have all this legislation to protect people that can't get IDs and can't get cars that can't get checking and banking accounts and all this other things. And, uh, and yet they are trying to attack the people who are dependent on services like this to get around as a cheap, reliable source of transportation who may not be able to get a driver's license. Maybe they can just use their card from home. Maybe they got a credit card here. Now, granted, I know. To open a bank account, you do need to get an ID. But, suffice to say, you can still use your Mexican ID or your Venezuelan ID or your Japanese ID in the meantime. So anyway, what we're seeing here is literally the government coming... Fucking is coming. Fucking is going. They're fucking us through excessive amount of surging pricing by changing a business model that is reliable, that works and people depend on, that is affordable to the masses. So they're trying to change that, tax the shit out of it. So they get that money up front. And now, in addition to that, they're going to get the payroll taxes because now they have to pay these people a lot more money. We are all paying a lot more money into this service, which can be taxed by the government as as revenue. So literally... The government is fucking us coming and going, ruining a rideshare service, and eating their cake and having it too. All at the expense of the consumer. Beautiful world, ain't it? Representative Deborah, or Deborah? Who knows? Holland, enemy of the people.
1: Cliff, explanation, please. Now, how do you know he has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer.
0: All right, and also a quick second edition of Bar Talk. Now, this has been touched on by Tom Woods, an entire episode on it. I know Dave Smith just did. He dedicated his whole episode this week. I was listening to at the gym earlier uh, to debunking the concept that Bernie Sanders and, and AOC, they introduced a bill, essentially, which would limit credit card fees to 50% interest. They say it's to battle, quote unquote, usury which is just lending people money. There's no other way to put it. That is just banking. That's lending people money. So I I don't know. It's idiotic to put that in there. But real quick way we can discuss this. I'm going to try to sum it up in two minutes why this is such a bad idea. Number one, you will destroy the entire credit card-based industry. Credit is a result of your actions in the market, the way in which you save, the way in which you pay your bills, the way in which you pay your debts off. You cannot have people that have bad credit get loaned money at the same amount and the same interest as people that have good credit, that are reliable, that have assets backing up that credit. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad people thing. It doesn't matter if you're the nicest person in the world. You may not be fiscally responsible. And by introducing a bill like this, you're doing two things. You're essentially denying the poorer people or the people with bad credit, any access to credit, because what's going to end up happening is maybe you have a scenario where you have microloans, which are something where it's become popular in third world countries, also somewhat here. You might be able to get a micro loan for, you know, 100% interest and it's a three-day loan. And it's essentially just to, to facilitate you saying like $50, okay? Here's 50 bucks. You need just this amount of money to get through. I'm going to charge you the interest for it, but it's not that much. I'll get paid back. So you're going to eliminate the the ease of credit, the ease of access to money from people that don't have the ability to have these these low interest rates to get a a regular credit card. Number two, they say they're targeting these predatory lenders, right? The payday lenders that give you money up front on your check. Like, let's say you don't have time to wait for your check to cash or you don't have a bank account and it'll take two weeks to get this thing to cash. So they say, okay, I'm going to give you money right now immediately or I'm going to lend you money right now immediately, but I might have to charge you 400 percent interest. The reason that they do that, the reason people take those on isn't because it's a regular thing. And they've done studies into this, by the way, that show consistently people do not go to these quote unquote predatory lenders at a, a you know, every week, day in, day out to cash their checks. It is 90% of the time due to an unforeseen circumstance where they need emergency funding and they don't have anywhere else to go. So you are denying people who are in dire circumstances access to capital that they will no longer be able to get, period. Because no lender is going to take on that level of risk for somebody if they can only charge them 15% interest. Because people that are in these dire straits that already have bad credit, if they say, okay, it's 15% interest, whatever, I'm just not going to worry about paying it back. I can eat that. I can suck that for a while. I've already got terrible credit. What's, What's the worst that's going to happen to me? Whereas if you have these really high forms, they understand that money is building up quickly. They understand the urgency in paying that off as fast as possible in order to avoid having, you know, a bill that's going to come to $10,000. And I understand people could say, Oh, well, that's the, that's the problem. That's why it's so predatory. They're getting all this money from people. And if they don't pay it, Oh, the bills are astronomical. Yeah. That's called incentive. If the incentive wasn't there, you would not get paid the money back. And these people that they're lending to have a long history of not paying people money back if they are at low interest rates. So all this does is deny people emergency funding that they would need in dire circumstances because we want to make a a fun point about taking advantage of the poor and how banks have the advantage. So this is a bad bill. It's going to hurt people. Like every single bill the Democrats seem to put forward, it will hurt the people that it's designed to protect the most. Okay,
1: that's it. Cliff, explanation please. Now how do you know he
0: has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer talking part, but you got a butt that won't quit. You got these big chewy pretzels here. That are oh, you beer. It's like Too bad, right? That was like a four minute rant. That's pretty tight. Because I have a penchant for going on these bar talks, you know, because I'll take on something like, uh, you know, banking reform on the broader scale or the housing crisis. And I'll be like, it's a bar talk. I'm going to tell you how to talk to people in bars and then I'll talk for half an hour. And I'm like, man, these people better be on some good drugs if they're going to listen to 30 minute rant. (laughs) Anywho, uh, let's take a little break. I'll be back with more topics. And then a little later on, we're going to bring in Mark. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jujitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, we are back with Electric Liberty Land, episode number one, two, foa! com forward slash ELL124 for all the show notes, links to the stories that I am talking about today. Okay, let's get back into it. Let's talk a little bit about the trade war right now, which has just taken a brand new turn for the retarded. I mean, right now, you got both sides ramping up to 25% tariffs. And then you have Trump's scheme, which, listen to this madness. Not only are Americans now, and they and a recent study came out where they're even admitting it, that Americans are paying for these by, a, by paying higher prices at, at markets for everything Chinese. Not only, you know, the consumer goods, but just every other like raw materials that we might be coming in. And also China buys predominantly a lot of resources for America, like foodstuffs, a lot of our farming goods, because China's got infrastructure. They've got, Farming ability, but they still import a lot of food from us. And so, Trump, during this tariff thing, because the Chinese now are like, well, okay, we're not going to import your food. And there's kind of workarounds going on where you're seeing other countries that they do have relationships with ongoing now are actually buying, like Brazil is buying American agricultural products and then selling to the Chinese and just charging them more. So, they're still saying our same products are still going over there. But buy a workaround makes it more expensive for everybody. But you've got literally Trump says, okay, well, our farmers are growing these crops and we're just going to use the money we're getting from the tariffs to bail them out to the tunes of billions of dollars. So that in addition to the subsidies these fuckers already get, which I talked about this on another episode, they pass this farm bill, which assures that, you know, relatives that are like two steps removed from the actual farmer are still eligible for like up to $120,000 a year in farm aid and subsidies from the government. Just free money from the government. So Trump now, on top of all that money they're already getting, says that, oh, well, these poor farmers in the country, well, you know, they're suffering because of my idiotic trade tar- trade war and my tariffs that I'm putting on all of our, all of our uh, goods coming from China. And in return, the tariffs that China's putting on our goods. So I'll just give them billions of dollars to bail them out. I still want them to keep growing food, but we're just going to let it rot in warehouses. We're just going to have it, you know, just rot, rot in the fields, just chilling out there. little all the tomatoes rot on the vine. Here's your money, guys. Courtesy of the American Taxpayer. And again, like I was talking about before, government giving it to us, coming and going. So the government's getting the money from the tariffs in this trade war. America and its citizens are paying more for all of the consumer goods that we relied on coming over cheaply from China. So we get fucked while the government enriches itself at our expense. And yet, some reason, people are cheering this. For some reason, people still think that this is good economic sense. And you're seeing people in the media, you, you fucking Schiff, Trump's, or, uh, Chuck Schumer, I think, right, one of the two, of I can't remember exactly which one, Schiff or Schumer, one of the two, applauding Trump for, for raising this tariffs even higher, for keeping this trade we're on Because they know, they're just getting richer off of it. They don't give a shit about the American populace. And I'll tell you what really drove me up the absolute goddamn wall, is we're talking about the tariffs. We're talking about the expense that people are paying uh, here at home. And a GOP senator, who you may have heard of, Tom Cotton, notorious. I think, what didn't he make a, a an early presidential run last year? He's a like uber war hawk, just a douche nozzle. So Tom Cotton comes out there, of course, because he's got to just drum on that military industrial complex drum. He loves fucking bongling that shit up. He comes out. And he defends the tariffs on China in this way. This is a quote from CBS this morning. There will be some sacrifices on the part of Americans. I grant you that. But I would also say that sacrifice is pretty minimal compared to the sacrifices our soldiers make overseas that our fallen heroes who are laid to rest in Arlington make. (laughs) Gail King called him out saying you can't compare those sacrifices. Yes. Yes. I'll agree with you, Gail King, in this instance. What the fuck is he talking about? You're comparing voluntary military service, which not, that's nothing to even say about our military policy, which is abhorrent. But you're talking about people that have volunteered to go over, to go to, go, go to war, to combat and fight for our country, whether or not those circumstances where they were kind of forced into it due to the economy or not. But they signed up. They knew what they're getting into. Now they're overseas. They're dying in wars that America has started, which, by the way, are, again, theme of the episode. Fucking is coming and going. Wars that we have started, wars that we continue at great expense, running up the deficit, something like $72,000 a household now, that cause terrorism at home, which of course we have to spend more money on, that have caused any number of inconveniences for people at home due to the war on terror with the TSA and all these other restrictions and, and the costs of the TSA and the costs of all these security measures that airlines slap on us on top of all the other regulations and fees. This stupid motherfucker is saying that our sacrifice is minimal compared to soldiers making sacrifices overseas. I'm sorry, that's your job. It's your fucking job. People here don't have a choice to make those sacrifices. You made the choice for us. Trump is making the choice for us by imposing these tariffs. People got to buy these goods and services. They are now forced to pay more. And you don't know what this adds up to. You don't know the sacrifice these people are making at home. How does this dumb bastard know that somebody can't afford to send their kid to a school. How do they know they can't afford to buy their kid a meal now? Because the tariffs put in place have made everything in their life more expensive. And for some people, look, that might be living on the edge. You might be barely clinging to that poverty line. You might be just above it. And now because you got to you got to make some sacrifices and hey, don't talk about your sacrifices, every American Let's talk about the very few sacrifices that are going on on behalf of the American soldiers abroad. And look, and I'm not discounting, by the way, because a lot of veterans listen to the show, a lot of soldiers and active military personnel. I'm not discounting your sacrifices. Let me make that very clear. I'm not trying to demean what you have, what you've done, what you're going through, anything like that. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that, by comparing specific circumstances, people specifically dying for a cause which they probably don't believe in overseas, but having voluntarily undertaken that. And again, in a minuscule way compared to the breadth of all of America is completely fucking retarded. So, Tom Cotton, eat a giant dick. But in general, just this trade war continues to go on. We're now seeing it ratcheted. I don't see an end in sight other than the fact that Trump is going to at some point have to make a deal because if this is going on into his, when he actually gets into campaign mode, it ain't going to be good for him. And to me, it seems that China has the advantage because they can wait him out. They're a big communist nation. They've got other options. They've got infrastructure there that they can depend on. I mean, they can literally alter what they're, you know, what they're investing all of their communist dollars into to boost agriculture if they have to, because they're still a net exporter. So they have the ability to say, OK, well, we're to adjust that. We might make a little bit less money, but we can compensate for you pulling that, those, those products out. It might slow our economy down a bit, but they're also buying up all of our debt. They've got the money. They could just sell off some of the debts that they owe and make that money back. They could sell some of the bonds that they buy from America. I mean, there's ways China can make it through, even if they have to limp a little bit. To force Trump's hand here so I don't see how he's going to win this not in the time frame he's on and they can just wait him out banking on somebody that's going to be a little bit weaker as far as the posturing that they take with China coming into office so why would they make a deal now I don't know it's all things just fucked it's just you know it's a tit-for-tat game and we're seeing clearly neither of these governments give it a shit about their citizens Trump pretends to, he thinks, you know, and honestly, I'll give, I'll give Trump credit in that. I actually think he believes what he's saying, that the tariffs are going to help people, that this is for the good of all Americans, that he's going to bring business back and China will play fair. And I'm not saying China isn't cheating, but at the end of the day, all you're doing is propping up bad industries that are better off going overseas. We just got out of the way and let free trade happen. Better off for Americans be able to buy cheap products that are made more efficiently somewhere else as we concentrate on a different industry. Instead of dredging up these industries of the past, keeping them going on life support via this irredeemable and easily economically debunked tariff policy. Just aggravating. So let's all enjoy paying uh, $3 more for all of our uh, fucking Hanes t shirts, guys. All right, let's turn our attention, uh, instead of going towards China, let's turn it towards Iran. Because we're seeing Michael Bolton. <laughs> Michael Bolton. <laughs> John Bolton. I just watched Office Space, by the way, this this past weekend. Been a long time since I watched it. Very funny. Michael Bolton, that no talent ass clown. Uh, John Bolton. We're seeing him and he and Trump are kind of I don't know. They're going back and forth now. I'm not sure what to believe. Trump says he's tempering Michael Bolton. Mike. God damn it. He's tempering John Bolton's more warmongering neocon instincts. It's There's rumors and rumbles that Trump is sick of the way Bolton has been going about and comporting himself and, and the tactics that he thinks that should be taken in regards to Iran. But at the same time, I'm still seeing him stay in place. I'm still seeing these reports come out. And the most recent one that was leaked says that the United States is making plans already to send 120,000 troops, the same force basically size-wise that invaded Iraq in 2003, Approximately the same force to, quote, unquote, not be in a war, not going to be in a war, sending 120,000 troops over there, but want to send 120,000 troops as a response to Iran because they foresee an attack coming. And now this attack, as we were kind of talking about our Alliance of Liberty email chain uh, between all of us, uh, you know, all of us lines, this is based upon Iran being involved in Syria, which, of course, why is America in Syria? You got me, man. Makes no fucking sense to me, especially considering that a report came out. And this is absolutely fascinating, by the way. But a report came out recently from the like the engineering core, the official engineering core. Hold on. Let me pull up this story because I don't know why I'm just talking about it out my ass. You know, I like to do that, but I don't like to do it like this. Hold on. Let me get this goddamn story. So here we go. Moon of Alabama. I know it's a, a kind of a ridiculous name, but moonofalabama.org got their hands on the official report from the OPCW, which is the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. And they sent a fact-finding mission with engineers to investigate the quote-unquote chemical attack by Saad on his own people. Now, I've said numerous times on the show, that attack was total bullshit. It was clear that this was just a reason to suck America back into Syria. It was basically uh, done by the White Helmets in order to draw us back in there, keep us involved in the Civil War. And as we've seen now with this investigation, the engineers went in, they examined the canisters, which is <laughs> extra ridiculous. They, they claimed these canisters were dropped from a helicopter into these two different buildings and then they spewed this chlorine gas, right? So... Number one, hard to believe that these canisters are going to just crash through these roofs and make these massive holes, which they said looked like they were resulted from artillery and then were placed inside the houses. So hard to believe that these helicopters, you know, drop them down, flying along in a helicopter, which, number one, difficult to drop a canister, which is not like it's not like a missile, this canister, because I saw the pictures here and I'll link to it in the show notes. You can see the canisters. They're not streamlined. They don't have fins on them. They don't have anything. They're not like something you can drop from 3,000 feet up with any source of accuracy to try to get down in these houses. So they drop them in into these artillery holes. And uh, the engineers go in. They look at the cylinders. They go, okay, well, there's no real damage to these cylinders. So there's no way they crash through roofs. And uh, and that's the result of, of this action from a helicopter. Determined that it was, in fact, placed there by hand both cylinders, and that there was no evidence to say that this was an attack coming from Assad, coming from uh, from his forces to try to intentionally target these people. So that just came out. <laughs> but we're still over there. We're still involved. So we've got a situation now where Iran is involved in Syria because, you know, it's right there. That's one of their allies. You know, they're they're. It's right next to them. We're over there for no fucking reason, but we're using that as a premise for a possible attack with our hundred twenty thousand troops that we're readying to send over. We already have a, a ocean cruiser over there, I'm playing an aircraft carrier over there with a full bomber squadron, and they are now flying around, flying missions basically to try to taunt the Iranians into doing something. We're claiming that Iran attacked Saudi Arabian oil facilities. Maybe. I don't know. There's no evidence to prove that. It doesn't look like there's damage in the photos that are taken. So it seems like a, another false flag operation. And then on top of that, they're saying that Yemen is the reason that we should be going over there and fighting the Iranians. Because they're responsible for the, you know, for these rebels and the and they're fighting back and they're arming the rebels that are fighting against the Saudi Arabians who are just massacring people. And the United States is helping them in an ongoing, unconstitutional, non approved congressional war, which Trump has vetoed when they tried to push through and and restrain it and and stop us from essentially arming and uh, fueling and aiding the Saudis in this ongoing genocide they're committing over in Yemen. So you got three reasons, none of which are are viable for the United States to be engaging in any war with Iran. But no, we're posturing that if there's any attack on United States troops in any of these regions we're not supposed to be in and have no reason to be in, or... Gotta love this one. Or we might go and attack them if they start to ramp up their nuclear program again, which I'm sorry, you know, we had a plan in place uh, to the best of my knowledge and they were following it. Trump decided he was going to rip that up, pull us out of that deal. The Iranians, of course, in response, now they said that they're still working with the NATO inspectors. That was the last report I read anyway. Maybe they're sable rattling and saying, oh, well, we're going to start it up again. Let's get another deal made. Still no deal on the table. But we had one. They weren't creating nuclear weapons anymore. The nuclear weapons that we've been promised are coming for the past 30 fucking years. Still haven't manifested themselves. So we're using that as an excuse. The deal that we pulled out of, that's our excuse to go and invade Iran to start a brand new fucking war in the Middle East, which we can't afford. To destroy another country. Look, Iran... I got my problems with Iran, don't get me wrong, but at least they're stable. At least there's not massive amounts of Al-Qaeda and ISIS going in. They're filling in a, that power void. At least they're a functioning government. But we can't have that. We got to go in and flip that apple cart, baby. Kick it over, let John Bolton go, and fuck all the apples rotten. That's how they call them, Apple fucking B. <laughs> He's like Johnny Appleseed, except with a big gay mustache, and he likes to fuck apples until the cores fall out. I heard Granny Smith was his favorite, but eh, you can't believe everything you read. You can't believe the blogs. So that's my foreign affairs wrap-up, guys. All right. Now let's bring in Mark. Let's talk a little bit about Tulsi Gabbard. So without further ado. Hello there. That
1: was weird. It tried to like it thought I was the meeting host and wanted me to be the host.
0: That's odd. Well, you're not the host. Not no, on this I'm show. Not. Bullshit. Not here, motherfucker.
1: I don't think I've ever been on this show
0: except for LALDL. Yeah, true. Probably. Probably. History in the making. Yeah, or you're overexposed. Well, maybe I'll have sure. you on officially sometime. Was this, is, is this unofficial? <laughs> <laughs> this is unofficial. This is unofficial. Oh, okay. All right. I had. Uh, <laughs> did I already was, do
1: a whole Jerry you your-
0: I already did a whole schmegeggy. So. Let's talk Tulsi. I'm not, this is all going in and I might even put this video to the pride since uh, they need more video of people talking into microphones, looking at cameras. Yeah. Maybe I'll go shirtless. Should I go shirtless? No. I had no shirt on and I put on a shirt just for you. <laughs> well, I have That's no pants true. on. So what, what a pair we are. True fact. <laughs> I'm to get this camera. A little, there we go. Ah, now it's camera, camera friendly. Let anyway. just levitated upwards. <laughs> this is why you need to put the video in the pride. So oh, I'll, 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 send it to him. I was just reading Jason Birdsell's post about uh, listening to E.L.L. with his windows down and a mother and her two children being completely scarred for life. Uh, but as I said, future libertarians, those kids. I better convert them. It only takes a touch. I'm like, I'm like black. Uh, what is it? Black widow venom. You just need a tiny touch of me and it spreads throughout your veins. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk Tulsi. I already went through a bunch of the other shit I was talking about this show. So, what are your thoughts? Because, like, I, you know, we saw that Roger Paxton, our our friend over at the Lava Flow, is uh, losing his goddamn mind over people supporting or or even considering Tulsi Gabbard. And then there were some other posts. Somebody else posted another article from the Libertarian Republic, I think, saying, like, don't support Tulsi. Meanwhile, we went to the event last night, and uh, I don't know, what did you think? How many times during that event did we
1: look at each other or look at one of the other libertarians we were with and, and roll our eyes? <laughs>
0: oh, at least, I'd say 50%. Like, like, it was like every I would other say state. like
1: 70 to 80% for me. <laughs> um, so the idea that we're just there to, quote-unquote, support Tulsi Gabbard is just silly. Uh, I don't want to knock Roger. I want to promote Roger because I love his show, and he's got he's going to have a whole episode of the Lava Flow podcast where he lays out his argument. I haven't heard that yet. I think it'll probably be released... Uh, soon so i know he was recording it uh the same around the same day as uh we're doing this so
0: bunch I of libertarian heard- slaves <laughs> living in their basements think
1: they see an attractive woman and want to support a libertarian how did you get that clip of <laughs> how did you get that preview clip <laughs> of coming, we're
0: coming on the love flow
1: <laughs> please do check out the love flow podcast
0: and listen to roger's great. take as on. i said he's, he's our friend i'm looking forward to seeing with pork fest that's why
1: well, uh, if, if roger I'm, I'm now Again, the, we, neither of us have heard his episode yet. We were just talking about this in our private Facebook group for Lions of Liberty Pride members. So if you want to be in that conversation, you know, I'm just a born plugger. So go over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Check it out. Five bucks a month gets you into the private Facebook group where you get to see Roger getting upset about things. But um, <laughs> no, But in all seriousness, I mean, I, if, if libertarians were out there saying, Tulsi Gabbard is a libertarian and a great libertarian and she should be supported as a libertarian, I would completely agree that that's ridiculous, right. and should not be done in any way, shape, or form. I think a lot of it depends on how you view politics, and I know Rogers a uh, very anti-politics, anti—you know—political action. Um, maybe not fully, but you know, for the most part, he has shunned that sort of side of things, which is perfectly fine. And uh, you know, I think that a perfectly reasonable approach to take that in your in your own way. But not everybody sees things the same way. And this is part of the conversation. I mean, even Murray Rothbard got into the weeds on everything. He endorsed oh, yeah. Pat Buchanan and then he endorsed progressives. He joined a socialist party because to him, he was always willing to go with the most anti-war candidate because to him, that was the most important issue. And I was talking to a friend of ours who, you know, Jamie today, just because he asked me how the event was. And I said, oh, yeah, she's, she was good on this and that. And he said, you know, will you vote for her? I said, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> and because, not only just because she, dis- you know, I disagree with many of her views and policies, but it, for me, it's more, we live in California. Why on earth would I vote for a Democrat or a Republican? Right, exactly. There's no point. That's a wasted vote, is <laughs> thinking your vote matters in California. Who, whoever wins the, um, you know, the Democratic nomination is going to win the- Yeah,
0: right, completely. World. Well, I just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like people, right now, there's not way really a candidate that's really, steadfastly anti-war like she is. I mean, Bernie Sanders kind of, but he's distracted with all his other bullshit plans and his socialist dreams so you know bernie's really- weak on it i mean he's yeah he kind
1: of like you said and he did bring forward the yeah, the resolution that trump vetoed to end the involvement in yemen i'll give him credit for that for sure uh but it's he, now the difference i think what sets tulsi apart and why libertarians are attracted to her uh and just talking about for more than
0: obvious reasons she <laughs> uh, is she's very attractive i will say in person she was very good looking for a democratic candidate she's very attractive for sure <laughs> <laughs> by the way ugliest crowd i thought there'd be a, like a lot of like hot young things the ugliest crowd i've ever seen because santa monica is full of like beautiful people this was like all the fucking ugg bugs rolled out from under the carpet to show up at this event like just like the scum of the uh, the scum of the democratic earth was that you know,
1: always brian always brings the hard-hitting analysis on these
0: things. <laughs> oh no i've got notes and notes and notes and notes uh here i'm gonna get into but you're you're ranting so i'm gonna let you finish your rant yeah,
1: well, the, the thing with tulsi to me is she makes war her primary issue it's not like she's yeah. just Kind of good on it, and a little bit better. She makes it the focus of her campaign, yeah. and I was actually worried that the moderator, who I'll just tell the interesting story that I heard from someone who I don't believe is a libertarian, he just heard me and uh, Adam, our friend Adam, who's a member of the Pride, talking about it about her, and I think he got the the idea we weren't, you know regular democrats anyway we were kind of talking about being against the establishment he showed us this video of the the night before there was an event in malibu and it was the same host the lady that was you know had was up on stage that that brought her up and i guess someone had asked a question in malibu had asked tulsi a question you can look this up on youtube maybe you can find it uh, posted in your show notes give you more work to do Uh, but but uh someone had asked a question about how you know about how the DNC helped to rig primaries against Bernie oh, right. Sanders in 2016, and you know what Tulsi might be able to do to combat anything similar happening to her. And the lady took the microphone from her, <laughs> yeah, because this lady, you know, I mean, whatever she's—I don't know who she is. She seems A nice, she's authoritarian
0: to their core. She was like the head of the, the Malibu, Malibu Democratic, Democratic Club or some bullshit like yeah. that. Yeah, so
1: I just—I just found that interesting. That I, I think. What's interesting about Tulsi is she makes this her big issue. It's the thing she talks about the most. She even brings it up when other things are being talked about. And that's just not something other candidates do. At best, other Democratic candidates might give an answer that's a little bit better on war than than maybe Donald Trump might or maybe some Republican might. Sure. But they don't really mean it. And, you know, maybe they do. But it's not something they're going to push forward. It's not something they're campaigning around. Tulsi is campaigning around being anti-war. That is something. That aspect of it is something libertarians should appreciate. That
0: what that is that. Mean- well, and she's a veteran. She's been. You know she's saying like recounting these stories. You know, she's saying she was in there. She's in Iraq. She was in uh, what uh, I think it was Iraq for two tours. Yeah, and she's saying like she's seeing the financial toll. She's seeing all the things we talk about. How the people there are impacted. They're you know they were re- they're despising America because we're there. We're fucking their entire lives up. We're destabilizing the country. You're seeing the impact. And then also not only the outward wars, but I like that she talked about the unaccounted for expenses that you see, the corruption that's involved, the crony capitalism, the Halliburton's getting contracts. All the things libertarians uh, rant about. Yeah. She's, she's, she is fantastic on war. Now on the flip side, she is atrocious. Like at one point here was one of the, the rolling our eyes thing. I remember you and I were laughing about this. She went out and she was saying that the U S is not growing quote unquote, healthy food enough to feed people. And it's like, that's what they said. It made no sense. It's like oh, it all those Democratic talk books. So you go, what the fuck are you talking about? This makes zero sense. We grew too much food. We're paying farmers not to grow food. Like, if anything, we have more food. We could we could feed the entire continent uh, three times over with healthy food.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think she's probably kind of referring to, uh, which again, I mean, maybe she's not looking at it this way like to me. PMO, is that what you're thinking? Because she didn't well, say. Maybe, it. but I mean, I'm just thinking, yeah, maybe if we're talking about people going hungry, like you've mentioned before, hunger is not a problem in America. <laughs> It's really not a problem in America. Obesity is a problem in America. Eating poor food and making poor food choices might be a problem. But a lot of that is because the government subsidizes the damn corn industry. And, you know, (laughs) it's just a chain of events that leads to, you know, policies where bad food is supported more. And then you see more of it. But in reality, the free market is producing much healthier options than ever before. I mean, you have the impossible burger that there's no law that created the impossible burger that came from people wanting to eat less meat or that, and that happened in a cultural way, you know, yeah. for, for various reasons, some of which I might agree with some, of which I might not. But the point is the the desires of people are currently as we speak being expressed in the market in places where it's allowed. So all you really got to stop to do is stop subsidizing the bad things and you know, things will work itself out. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was a weird, you know, side tangent. It was um,
0: odd. Well, I'll tell you some of the other things. So she's very, she's good on drug legalization. That was good. She t- you know, put it in the state's hands, how a handle cannabis. She wants to help people get out of jail that are violent uh, or the nonviolent offenders. That was great. Um, a couple of things that, uh, again, the, the shittier things, saying that housing is a human right was uh, aggravating. She said that after, I think, so I had an opportunity to ask a question. And uh, and as you saw, Tulsi locked eyes with me because all the- I actually ladies- saw
1: her when she first right. asked-
0: there was only time for three questions, of course. Okay. But when she first asked, you put your hand up. I saw her locking eyes with oh, you right away. She, right away. And then she asked, like, she went to some guy in front of me who asked a good question about Israel and Palestine. And uh, what did she, she say on that? He asked her a question saying, uh, how would you handle and she's She, uh, to her credit, did not back down from criticizing Israel and attacking Trump benefiting bibi Netanyahu, who, who's just like uh, at this point he's a fucking war criminal you know it's like so i like that she attacked that without and
1: stating it as cleanly as a libertarian would she was basically right. saying we shouldn't be we shouldn't take sides in this exactly. we shouldn't be trying to you know favor somebody or, yeah. or the other and she didn't really go into much depth you know about a yeah. role after that but yeah
0: exactly so she was great on that and then i asked a question and I, it was I, I made the mistake of being a little too long-winded so i asked the you? question was, no, never. can you imagine such a thing uh, but I got up there. I, ta- I asked her about you know her position on Syria, which is get us out of Syria. Great. Uh, and her position on the presidential executive powers, which she had a great answer on, and I didn't realize that she put forth a bill which would basically—I have to look up the exact of, but it was in, to impeach the president if he tried to, to to start a war without congressional approval, which I thought was fantastic. But then I, at the end, I said, "How do you jive?" Basically, your Syria, your your, your uh, or, sorry, your support for the war on drug, uh, God damn, I can't talk. Your support for the war on terror. Versus saying, let's get out of these foreign entanglements because those two things are at odds. And she didn't, she answered the first two and she didn't get to that aspect of the question. And I should have just asked that specific thing in that specific way. And I'm pissed at myself for doing it. But what are you going to do?
1: Well, as Roger pointed out, she did, ha- did have some statements from her run in Congress kind of supporting the war on terror under Obama as, as sort of a, to me, I think, because she's not new. I've been following her for some time. Um, she's basically saying, you know, if there's terrorists that we have to go after, we should get them. But we shouldn't be going through regime change and launching wars and, th- and that sort of thing. That's not what she said last night, by the way, uh, no. just to be clear. That's just what she sa- was saying in a, a link from her campaign site from a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, I don't know if she's purely anti-war in the sense that most libertarians would be, but, she based- but neither is Ron Paul. <laughs> yeah. Neither is Rand Paul. Uh, and her foreign policy is essentially the same as theirs, uh, as far as I can tell. Yeah, so. it seems
0: that way. I mean, and she did say a couple of other things I'll, I'll share with you guys again where Mark and I are rolling our eyes. You know, there's I don't think she... Did she say it, where it was something about women, more women in government? That was an eye-rolling moment. Uh, uh, I don't know if she said that. was that the, the moderator. moderator? That was the moderator. that yeah, was the it. moderator. She was yeah. like, first of all, we're glad you're a woman who's running. I, I'm just like, yeah. like, I'm glad women run too. <laughs> we're all glad <laughs> women are running. We don't need to point it out every fucking time.
1: You know, she said, the moderator also said, you know, we take it for granted that women can run for president now. And all I could think was, yeah, that's good. We should take it for yeah. granted. We want to, progress. I, when when you, you take it for granted, it means it's so common and so not a thing, that we don't need to make a big deal out of it because it's become normalized. So yeah, we take it for granted that like
0: a- black and white people walk down the street together. Yes, yes.
1: great. Yes.
0: That's fantastic. That's, that's like what we yeah. should be sure.
1: I take it for granted that I could go date a black chick and no one would oh. think it was that weird. Yeah, precisely. I'm not, and I haven't been, but, you know, that's not the point. Neither uh, here nor there. But, but I could.
0: Oh. <laughs> you could, And you should. Uh, no, but <laughs> what I was going to say is that she – um she did say she was homeschooled, which was uh, I didn't realize impressive. But then she kind of she she undercut herself from the It's like she couldn't sound too a libertarian talking about how homeschooling was a good thing because she said her mom was a special ed teacher, uh, which I thought was funny because I said, "Oh, that's why she could communicate with the Democratic Party so well." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but then she goes. You know, she had the, the freedom to learn at her own pace and how great it was to learn in that environment. And clearly, she's turned out to be a very intelligent woman. But then she's like, what we need to do is reinvest in education, which reminds me of this. I wrote this down at the event. I like emailed myself, you know, an idiocracy, uh, brondo, it's what plants crave, or it's got what plants crave. Yeah, yeah. That's what it, it reminds me of the fucking democratic position in education. Education, it's got what plants crave. It's like they can't seem to get their minds around that It's not good. It's not the solution, but they keep fucking doubling down on it and keep watering the plants that are dying. I I think in some ways she... Well, like you, we both know she defaults to the
1: Democratic position on every economic issue. that That's without a doubt what she is uh, for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like you said, she was giving her t- talking about homeschooling and the flexibility and how, you know, she was able to adapt to her. That is the argument or it's not the moral argument, but it's, I guess, the utilitarian side of the argument for not having the federal government create a monopoly right. over how they control the education system when they do that. And the government controls how people should be taught, what curriculum should say, what, what tests should be given and all of this that is putting everyone in a rigid system. That is the opposite of the system in which Tulsi was able to thrive and become right. an intelligent,
0: successful person. Yep. Exactly, man. Um, so I did get the, as I, you already know this, but I did get the media contact for, uh, for her on the, the Campaign level, the 2020 campaign. So, I shot her an email, invited her to come on the show. I sent the link to your Amash interview because uh, I ain't sending to my electric Liberty Land content. That'll be a no, straight I wouldn't no. do that. <laughs> but we'll see what she says because it would be interesting to have her on. Send her to the lava flow, yes, yeah, that would be that would turn out <laughs> fantastic. Although, who knows? Didn't she, isn't she like twice divorced? Maybe she'll uh have a strange attraction to a Rhino, rhino I Roger think she's on her second husband. I'm not, don't is call. she? I, was, I thought she was single. I don't know. The way she... Oh, she's not single. She without. was giving me the laser vision when I asked my question <laughs> makes you think she was on the prowl. But... Well, um Google pictures
1: of her husband. He's an interesting looking person. That's all I said. Post message. it in the show notes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll put him as the featured image. On the
1: I, I do want to get back to something I was starting to rant about later and I think I got sidetracked. Um, But I guess a lot of this... I want to address this whole like libertarian supporting Tulsi Tol- yeah. Gabbard thing a little deeper because... I just think it's important that, okay, like we have a lot of friends who are Democrats who will, their instinct would be to not agree with most libertarian positions, mm-hmm. even on war stuff. You'd think Democrats default to that. They really don't anymore. If if we can show some people that we're willing to listen to someone from their side and agree with her strongly on these issues, on these anti-war issues, and that person is someone they identify with as well because of. All that 80% stuff that we roll our eyes at, they're nodding their heads at. Right. We can have those conversations with them separately, and we do and will. But if we can you know, a- agree on something that we should agree on her with, and we're not just rejecting that part of her, that aspect of her, just because of her D, that's how you communicate with people. And that's how you start to win people over to your side. Right. I'm not saying any of these people are going to snap their fingers and go, oh, let's be libertarians now. But that's not how anything works. That's not how any kind of persuasion works in life for the majority of people. The majority of people are swayed when they learn that you're on their side. And when you can show people legitimately, not through deception, that we're on their side, at least on these issues, it can start to get them to think, okay, well, she's so great on these other things. And then she says this anti-war stuff, maybe that is important. Maybe we should be listening exactly. to this stuff more. Uh, and, and there's no reason for a libertarian to be shy about cheering or rooting for someone saying specifically libertarian things. No. That doesn't mean you're rooting for the entirety of the person. It doesn't mean you're going to endorse the person. But who doesn't want an anti-war? There's no anti-war voice in the in the presidential race outside of some obscure libertarian candidates who are not going to get on TV. That's just the facts of the matter. Who's going to be on TV that people are watching? Democratic candidates running against Trump. Right. Those are the only people. And there's, I mean, what, is Bill Weld going to be our, yeah. our anti-war candidate primarying uh, <laughs> Donald Trump? That's not going to happen. He's not going to get a minute of, of TV time. There's not going to be Republican debates. Right. The only conversation is going to be in Democratic debates. So if there's one, and I might even say two, because Mike Gravel is an interesting character. I don't know if he'll get into the debates, but I'd love to see him get into the debates because he's also very anti-war, perhaps more so than Tulsi Gabbard is. Uh, but it, there, I don't see any contradiction at all in libertarians rooting for an anti-war message. That doesn't mean you're rooting for even uh, the person. But if that person is leading with an anti-war message and can get more attention
0: to that specific message, I, I don't see the problem. Well, I'd say yeah, exactly a lot of it was a lot of cheers. And then, you know, there was one point where I think I actually was audibly booing. But, uh, you know, but that aside, like you're saying, it's, you know, there is the concept of coalition building and there is a concept of introducing people to the ideas when you come around to it. If you can get people to agree with you on war being the biggest issue and the war on drugs being bigger issues, those can bleed into them being convinced on other topics. And if nothing else, it allows you to talk to people and open up to a conversation. Whereas at the the point, if you introduce yourself as a libertarian right now to 90% of the people out there that don't agree with you you have no shot because their minds are already closed off. So if you can find these major issues and like you said, show support, show that you can agree with them on a candidate, at least in some respect, then you at least have a chance of a dialogue. And once you start that dialogue, who knows what can happen? Then you actually have a shot at converting. But if you shut yourself off and you say, I can't even look at the in the direction of that, uh, you know, then then what's the point? You're just preaching to the choir and that's not helping anybody. And imagine this scenario imagine someone
1: like tulsi gabbard could become president did become president has the litany of democratic policies we di- disagree with just like all the other democrats i should say there's really no difference on that stuff but if that's the one that can get in and if she's sincere and i mean the power of the presidency to end these wars is i mean is she can do it like that mm. and when she was asked what she would do when she got into office Unprompted, she said she would begin bringing troops home. Yeah, first thing. She sounded first like Ron thing. Paul with that answer. Bring the
0: Unprompted. troops
1: home. Yep. So to me, she comes across as very sincere, even on the stuff I disagree with her with. She comes across to me as someone who means what she says. Maybe she'll get into office like so many others. I don't think she'll get into office, let's, let's be clear. But as, I mean, yes, it's possible she could be just like many others and say a lot of things that don't happen she could be like Trump and say a lot of things about taking troops out of places that doesn't even happen. I don't think she's hiring John Bolton to be her, her national security advisor, though. Pretty sure she's not going to do that. And I'm pretty sure that she could and I know she could have the power to end the war in Yemen with a snap of her fingers and end her support for that with a snap of the fingers. If that's the only good thing someone like her ever did in office and did and just ha- you know had a bunch of other non-libertarian policies like any other president would, then good because at least we're going to stop some people from dying. Then. There's people dying literally every day because they don't have clean fucking water in Yemen. So, yeah, politics, libertarian purity, these are all things to talk about. Where's the part where if we just say we can stop some lives from being snuffed out with our own money that's being taken from us? Why should we not root for that to happen? So I'm not even necessarily rooting for Tulsi Gabbard Gabbard to win the presidency. Of the current options, I could see arguments that she's the least bad of current possibly realistic options. But the, the bigger point is bringing more attention to this anti-war issue that's just not going to have a voice in, in 2020 otherwise. She is, she is the only one with a good chance to get the voice out there at all. I love Mike Ravel.
0: I hope he gets attention too. She has a lot better chance to spread that message than he does. Damn well right. Well, agreed. Uh, okay, one more quick topic. <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out. I know you want to make this quick and so do I, but we'll do uh, five you've minutes. Me,
1: you've got me sucked in now. It's I know. Great.
0: Five minutes on this because there was an interesting question raised by, uh, by Ben Pangji. Pangy or Pangy? I never know how to say. You
1: that. know what? I've asked him six times, and every time I forget what Different which answer. way he said it was. I think yeah. it's Pangy.
0: That freaking hippie. Um, Great supporter okay. of the show. Yeah, big for the show. Love you, Ben. So he posted though about the Monsanto decision, which just came out. and this is like the second one. Uh, this massive award they awarded these these two people. I think it's a couple who both have cancer. Two billion dollars, and this is you know in a federal. It's a federal jury. This courtroom, but it's still based upon a lack of concrete evidence. It's about, it's from based on one report that I could find that said that it's a probable cause is glow, glow cost fate or whatever it is, uh, that it's a probable carcinogen, but there's no actual evidence. There's nothing to actually statistically link it. So he asked, is this a free market response? And I have my own take on it, but did you look at the intuit at all? Like, do you have a thought on this? Um, I did not read the article, if that's what you're asking me. It's, uh, I just summed it up for you. Literally, <laughs> I can, they gave two I can give you a- <laughs> to these two people. That was it. A jury a jury gave them $2 billion because they said that they got cancer from Roundup. But there's no evidence to actually back this up. No concrete evidence to. to what support. did the jury base it on? They're based it upon testimony. And, and you know, again, this this one report, uh, as far as I could tell, the one report that came out that said it was a probable carcinogen. So there's been 14 tests that Monsanto claims have been done independently that have uh, debunked it. There's, I think, the position of the EPA, even before Trump is from 2009, said that it is not a, uh, you cannot have a direct correlation between that as a cancer-causing agent. Well, I'm it, not about to trust the EPA. That's for Well, sure. neither am I, but I'm just saying. And But you think the EPA might default to go, anti- well, it's big business, so they'd be in bed with them. Here's
1: but, my take. I can't possibly tell you um the science of whether roundup causes cancer or not but let's presume it, well, all i can say is if, if it doesn't then this is ridiculous right if it does then it's maybe, it's, maybe it isn't maybe is isn't i don't really know if you can put a put a price on someone getting cancer or not
0: um no. I, Dude, I, I would I say i'll put a price on it eh, it's less than two billion no, i'm gonna I say know. it's less than two billion dollars personally but if am gives me cancer i want i want three billion Well, get out there and suck some close cost or whatever the fuck it is. Drink it down, man. Maybe I will. Uh, I'll give you my quick take on this. And that it's even, let's say it's a free market situation where you say, okay, this is the market responding because this is a, you know, like we're saying with the. Well, it's not the market responding. Let's just, well, free market, not the market. Let's say, uh, is this a free market response is what his question was.
1: Well, no, it's nothing in the court is a free market response. Even if you support a court system, Uh, it's obviously not a free market response because it's a, a function of government so right. that exactly. doesn't even add up exactly
0: um, so yeah number one it's a function of government number two even if we're to extrapolate this to a broader libertarian sense right like this is a libertarian world let's get rid of the, the the context the context of the current decision even if it were so you'd have a private court then you'd probably have an arbitrator that would that would weigh in you probably still would not get a decision uh awarding two billion dollars but i think you'd also have to have some sort of provable causation and in this situation that doesn't seem to be the case it seems to be. Of people, you know, and this is all in California, so it's cherry-picked in these areas that are outside of San Francisco. So you have a hyper-liberal jury that wants to attack big corporations. So, and then you also have media conglomerates that are covering this issue and demonizing Monsanto. So just taking that all into account, uh, it doesn't seem to me like it's an honest shake. And I think that if we're a libertarian society, it would not play out in this manner. I think you would have, even if it was something where you could say, well, we figure there's enough of evidence to, to say causation you still wouldn't have a, a decision to this extent uh, I, it still would be considered a little bit ridiculous
1: yeah it's hard to say <laughs> yeah, man. i'm not going to provide insightful commentary on this because it's it's too uh it's too well messy I, of an issue I, I,
0: it is I, I, but right. i brought it up to, it was an interesting question so you know give it I a mean, shot we, we could
1: go on a two-hour you know s- s- screed about how you know f- Free market libertarian courts would, you know, sort these sort of things out, and mm-hmm. how torts would work. But no one wants to hear that stuff. They can mm-hmm. go to the lava flow for that.
0: <laughs> there you go, Roger. Yeah. Roger, we're endorsing the shit out of you today. Yeah, there you go. And also, uh, I gave you a shout out earlier in the show, but we'll wrap it on this, uh, Mark, my friend. Congratulations on 400 episodes. Oh, I thank you. Very impressive, and it was a very good show. So, uh, yeah, man. Seriously, that's fucking.
1: Crazy. I think technically you may have produced one or two of those in the Ram Plus and Minus days, but we don't I need. Did, but.
0: Still, I'm not going to celebrate on 402. That's just
1: that's just stupid.
0: That's like Tom Woods style. Yeah, you know, this thousand show. His, it's, my, it's my thousand and fifteenth show, but we're going to celebrate the thousandth episode here. <laughs> Tom Woods bro. Okay, anyway, that's punching up. You're still punching up at Tom Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Always, never stop punching. One of these days is going to strike
1: back. I
0: hope. Punch I hope. Stri- I want to. Wanna...
1: Dark Tom Woods might delete this podcast if we're not
0: careful. Uh, dark Tom Woods is all of us, man. He's he's every uh, Dark Tom Woods is us. After you record a podcast. And you're like lying in bed before it airs, just thinking of something that pops in your head that you fucked up and you go, God damn it. I'm not going to get out of bed at four in the morning to fix it. But man, I pissed off about it. I wish this episode was deleted. That's Dark Tom Woods. A little bit of Dark Tom Woods lives inside every Libertarian podcaster. A hundred percent. So anyway, so that's it. of course, Mark, listen to Mark on Mondays. His shows with in-depth. Interviews with leaders of the Liberty Movement. I am here Wednesdays. And of course, John Odie Odermat with Felony Fridays. A lot of attention for his last interview with, um, blanking on his name, not Sneddon. <laughs> John Sneddon, I believe. Is, is it is Sneddon? Okay, I was right. So yeah. does a Former NCIS investigator that did a federal investigation into the Sandusky trial and, uh, and accusations there. Fascinating stuff. But uh, guys, we're the OG Libertarian Variety Show. We're kicking it here, kicking it real, keeping it uh, hot. Sweet and wet for you. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know about all those, but those yeah. are style. You get the point. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that's it. From Mark, I'll say goodbye to you. Say goodbye to the people. Bye, people. Bye, people. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty. Boogity, boogity, boo.